This is Talk of the Town, and our guest is Congressman Antonio Delgado, a Democrat, elected last year in a strongly contested race in which Delgado defeated Republican John Faso in the 19th New York Congressional District. You may be in the congressman's far-reaching urban and rural district, but even if you are not, you may remember the television ads. This is Talk of the Town on Magic 590 and 100.5 in Albany and 1410 and 96.9 in the Glens Falls area. Let me get right to uh, some topics, Congressman. No, no lack of them uh, in the national government these days. In the wake of recent gun violence in America, do you support uh, more gun control legislation and what specifically do you support? Yes, I appreciate the question, uh, and it's good to be here, Bob, really um, uh, looking forward to the conversation. I will start by saying um, that uh, we have a uh, public safety crisis uh, on our hands. Um, the mass shootings uh, in El Paso and Dayton, um, and the many more before them, um, which are lapping the rest of the world, um, are profoundly problematic. Um, now, I support legal gun ownership, and there are a host of valid reasons uh, for owning a firearm. Um, but no right uh, is unlimited. Uh, you can't yell fire in a movie theater, for example. Um, and given the crisis that we have on our hands right now, um, there are a few things that I think we should certainly be considering, and I've already supported. Uh, one, HR rate, universal background checks, is, uh, I think, critically important. Um, preventing military-style weapons of war uh, from purchase, critically important. Safe storage laws, banning bump stocks. Um, making sure that we not only allow the CDC to study uh, gun violence, but to also fund that studying so we can better understand and grapple with the cause uh, of this public safety crisis. These are the kind of things uh, that I am dedicated to pursuing. Uh, and it's unfortunate that even the most basic level things that we could be doing, like universal background check, which has 90 percent support across the country, we can't get the Senate to take up. Uh, Mitch McConnell has been uh, dead wrong uh, on this issue. It is imperative uh, that we elevate the conversation beyond partisan politics. D- despite you know what you're, you're saying and others who agree with you, uh, do you think we're now traveling a, a well-worn road? Uh, a terrible shooting happens and there's outrage and something's going to be done and ultimately nothing is done. You know, the, the, well-worn, road, the well-worn road, uh, as you put it, uh, is a road uh, that I think people are very tired of traveling on. Um, and I think we've reached the end of that road. Um, and we already see much of the transition happening uh, in many respects because of uh, the students who did the tremendous walkouts after Parkland. This issue is an issue that I think has reached a fever pitch, um, and people are desperate for change. Uh, and I think no one's going to stop until there is change. Uh, And again, the fact that we can't do something as basic when you have 90 percent of Americans who support universal background checks, 90 percent, and we still can't get a vote on HR 8 in the Senate um, after El Paso, it it, it defies the the, defies logic. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the key piece to understand here is uh, we have too many folks in Congress and in D.C. who are backed by uh, special interest groups, in this case, the NRA. Now, I have no problem with rank-and-file members of the NRA. In fact, my father-in-law is a member of the NRA. What I have a problem with is the gun manufacturing lobby within the NRA uh, that is dumping millions of dollars 
uh, into a misinformation campaign to make it nearly impossible for us to make any progress on this critically important issue. Do you support uh, efforts to keep guns out of the hands of people impacted by mental illness? I support certainly efforts uh, that take this issue seriously. And and in that regard, I would say making sure that the CDC um, is appropriately funded uh, for uh, the research is critically important. I I also, though, want to stress, and I I see this happening a little bit too much, um, it's not uh, as simple as just reducing this issue uh, to one of uh, mental illness. Um, I I think there's a lot of complexity uh, to this issue, well beyond just uh, its connection uh, to mental illness. Uh, I think we have to be very thoughtful in this approach, and that's why uh, making sure the CDC is appropriately funded uh, to have a broad-based Uh, approach in assessing the root causes of this uh, crisis are critically important. Our guest on Talk of the Town, Congressman Antonio Delgado. Let me go to another uh, topic. Do you support the impeachment of President Donald Trump? I've said this um, to uh, many folks at a number of town halls. I've done 21 town halls since being sworn in. Um, And this question does come up. and And I always stress to folks, you know, I didn't run uh, to serve because I want to impeach the president. That was not the driving force of my decision. Uh, what drove me to run um, was to serve the public and to uh, live up to the will of the people uh, and hopefully cut through so much of the dysfunction and partisanship that is coursing through our uh, national discourse. Uh, that being said, I also did not come to D.C. to be steamrolled uh, by an executive branch. Article 1 of the Constitution gives me uh, incredible uh, responsibility. Uh, and I have an obligation to uphold and protect uh, the Constitution. And right now we do have an administration that seems hell-bent uh, on not respecting uh, these checks and balances. And I, for that reason, am not inclined to take um, uh, any option off the table. Uh, but that being said, I think we have made a lot of progress here. Uh, we have an aggressive investigation that has been ongoing. We got uh, the Mueller report. We got Mueller to come in and testify. I think if we continue to bring in fact witnesses, continue to educate the public on what has transpired, not just in this standpoint of potential obstruction, but more importantly, the fact that we are still under attack uh, by a foreign adversary in Russia. And I think it is important that we as a country come together beyond the partisanship to really wrestle with this fact and understand and ask ourselves, what are we doing collectively across party lines to protect ourselves from this ongoing threat to our democracy? I think if we put that ahead of all else, um, that would be the steps that I want to take. There are many uh, Democrats uh, seeking the nomination to run for president. And one of the topics they're all involved in or speak out on uh, is health care. How do you think health care should be paid for in America? Well, it's a shame that we're the only developed country in the world uh, without some form of universal health care, despite being the richest country. Uh, in the world. And the cost of health care related to uh, the quality of care uh, is abysmal in this country relative to other parts of the world. We are way behind here. Uh, Now, we can talk about the different ways in which we can achieve universal health care. I believe that creating a public option uh, is the best way to do it. And that's why I'm proud to say that I've introduced the Medicare X Choice Act, which would allow folks who want to keep their private insurance to do so. But for those who want a more affordable option, uh, the opportunity to buy in to a nonprofit-based system uh, akin to Medicare. In essence, what this would do is create a public floor 
within the private insurance marketplace. It would have the effect of driving down premiums, driving down deductibles, and it would pay for itself in many regards because people, first of all, would be paying into Medicare at an incredibly reduced cost. Also, it would alleviate many of the millions of dollars of unnecessary administrative costs that are associated with processing private insurance claims relative to Medicare claims. In fact, I believe uh, private insurance claims are seven times the cost of administration as compared to Medicare claims. So there's mm -hmm. a lot of cost savings uh, in this space as well. Last point on this, my bill would make sure that Medicare has negotiating power uh, when it comes to uh, negotiations with Big Pharma. Right now, we're the only developed country in the world that does not have that feature. So we cannot use the full faith and credit of our government to bring down the cost of prescription drugs. That is uh, an atrocity, and we got to fix that. Mm. Um, if there's one phrase that seems to come through from the Democratic debates, you know, from a certain quadrant of maybe the more progressive uh, candidates, and that's Medicare for all, some kind of all-encompassing federal system, do you uh, think that's a good idea? I think what's a good idea is my idea, which is the Medicare X Choice Act, which is to allow people the choice. Uh, in effect, make Medicare available to people who want it, right? That's what we're talking about here. Mm -hmm. um, I think to the extent that people like their insurance, um, you know, they can keep it. But if you really want to figure out how to bring down the cost of health care and create a more affordable option, I think given that choice factor, uh, it's critically important. And that's what I support. You uh, mentioned uh, that you've been uh, out doing a lot of uh, town halls. I mean, not just recently, but during the uh, congressional recess, uh, you've been doing that. It's been quite a bit of coverage of it. What are some of the concerns voiced by uh, the participants in your recent uh, town meetings? Well, I can tell you, uh, just for those uh, who might not know, um, you know, New York 19 um, is a very politically diverse district. It's a third independent a third Democrat, a third Republican. Uh, most of the districts across the country, unfortunately, are drawn uh, in very partisan ways. So they're either you know, incredibly red or incredibly blue and don't leave a lot of room for finding common ground. In fact, they incentivize partisanship and divisiveness. Uh, and so consistent with that fact, when I go across the districts and talk to folks at my town halls, what comes up more often than not is why so much dysfunction in Washington. Why can't we come together and solve these complicated problems in a civil and reasonable and fact-based fashion? Whether it's healthcare, whether it's climate change, whether it's the opioid epidemic, whether it's infrastructure, there's a whole host of issues, big ticket items that we have got to wrap our minds around collectively. And it seems like the only option of the day um, is divisiveness. Um, and I tell folks, you know, uh, unfortunately, right now, the way that we draw congressional districts and allow elected officials to draw them rather than having independent commissions draw them is part of the problem. We've got to be able to make sure that our congressional districts uh, create um, some, some balance here so that we can incentivize more compromise and incentivize more reaching across the aisle. And that's the kind of work that I do uh, as a member uh, of Congress serving New York 19. That's a big, big issue is the dysfunction. And of course, of course, there's always a lot of questions about health care and making sure we focus on health care and broadband access and how we help our farmers who are getting hit really hard right now um, by a number of reasons, but chief among them, uh, the president's tariffs um, uh, policy, uh, which are really attacks on Americans and specifically attacks on our farmers who've had to be aided 
numerous times now as a result uh, of this misguided policy. So a lot of things are happening on the ground uh, that I'm uh, being confronted with. But chief among them is the lack of any sense that we are heading in the right direction in solving these problems due to dysfunction. Uh, your district includes most of the southern and eastern suburbs of the Capital District, as well as uh, part of the lower Hudson Valley. You were raised in Schenectady, I'm told, by African-American and Puerto Rican parents and played basketball for Notre Dame Bishop Gibbons uh, High School, studied at Oxford as a Rhodes Scholar, went to Harvard Law School. Uh, your wife, uh, Lacey Schwartz, made a documentary film on being biracial, you uh, live with your family in Rhinebeck and have two children. What, what did I get wrong in that little account? <laughs> well, I mean, it, 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 I'm not going to say what you got wrong. I think that's a you know generally um, accurate depiction um, uh, in terms of where I'm from. Uh, I will say my wife um, is a wonderful woman uh, who's from Woodstock, uh, and her film Little White Lies is a tremendous film. Um, I'll say that my kids are turning six. Uh, this week, um, and I'm happy uh, about that. And yes, I say kids, meaning I have twin boys um, mm. who are uh, full of energy, as you might imagine. Um, I would also say that um, I come from a working-class family. Uh, my parents worked for GE uh, back when GE had a really big imprint on upstate New York, as did IBM. And I believe that I and my wife, uh, we're both in our early 40s, uh, are that last generation of young people who lived and grew up in America under a different economic model, where you could actually work your way up uh, and uh, with hard work, responsibility, and discipline, uh, improve your lot in life. Uh, my parents lived in, I can't tell you how many apartments, before we bought my first or our first home my freshman year in high school. Um, these kinds of stories of upward mobility, where you can go from cutting coupons and putting clothes on layaway to meeting your wife, your future wife, at Harvard Law School, um, you know, they're, they're hard to come by now, no matter how hard you work. Uh, and that's a big part of why I ran, uh, making sure that stories like mine, stories where it doesn't matter where you start in life, this country gives you a fair shake. Um, you know, we got to bring that back. We used to be number one in the whole world in upward mobility. Uh, now we are dead last in the Western world, dead last. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, we got folks uh, who are, uh, you know, celebrating uh, uh, insane levels of wealth in this country. Um, when two-thirds of folks are living paycheck to paycheck. I just came across a stat recently that said uh, half of all American households, half of all American households are being asked to share 1.3% of this country's wealth. Half. Hmm. You know, so we have a lot of work to do in this country um, to make sure that we restore what we believe is at the heart of this country. And that's the American dream. Hmm. You said you have a very diverse district uh, politically, Democrat, Republican, Independent. You also have uh, different kinds of, you have cities, you have suburbs, and you have a lot of uh, farm area. And you were a sponsor of farm legislation. I believe you serve on the Agriculture Committee that passed both houses and uh, went to the president. Has, has this proposal been signed by the president, and what will it accomplish? Yeah, so the bill has not been signed yet, but it is a big deal. Uh, it not only passed the House, uh, which is democratically controlled, it also passed the Senate, which is republically controlled. And given how divisive uh, our political environment is, um, uh, it feels mighty good uh, to be able to find uh, a bill and find an area of law uh, that we can find some common ground on uh, and, and 
Uh, I look forward to the president signing it. Now, just stepping back, you know, this district uh, is the third most rural district of any Democrat uh, in Congress, and it is the eighth most rural seat, uh, congressional seat in the country. Full mm-hmm. stop. It's nearly 8,000 square miles. It's 11 counties. Uh, it is a big, big district. I think 163 towns. The biggest town in the entire district is Kingston, around 22,000. So we don't have any real densely populated city. Um, that is a big, big reason why we're so rural. And that's also why it's so critically important to support the backbone of this region, which is our ag community. We have, I think, about 8,000 or so farm operations. We have at least four to 5,000 farmers, primarily in the dairy space, primarily family farmers, not these big mega corporate farmers. And these are just the folks who are being squeezed out right now by increased market consolidation uh, and a, a continued emphasis in D.C. on propping up corporate and mega farmers with subsidies and crop insurance that is not designed to help the little guy and the small family farmer. So I'm a big believer in, in, in rethinking how we want to support our family farms, investing in localized markets, making sure we do things like get whole milk back in the school, making sure we create opportunities to support family farmers markets and food promotion programs, all critically important. And I'm lastly on this point, my bill, the Family Farm Relief Act, um, what, what it do is what it would do is lift the cap on eligibility for Chapter 12 bankruptcy. Now, what this does is it allows farmers to reorganize. As you reorganize your main operational and emerge, hopefully better for it on the other end of the bankruptcy proceeding. Um, this is critically important for those who are struggling with this down farm economy and being left behind by the president's horrible tariffs policies that are really doing a harm on our community. Now, this is not the end-all, be-all. It's not the sort of relief that we think um, should be uh, the only option, uh, but it is an option that I want to make sure that our family farmers have when they're dealing with this uh, economy. I don't want to jinx you, but is there uh, something to the fact that the president hasn't signed this yet, or is that just common and he will probably get around to signing it in a good time? He'll get around. He'll get around. It's, it's, uh, it's, well, I don't want to say he will get around because I'm not exactly sure what the president will do. Um, but I will say that it's not uncommon uh, you know, for the president to um, wait a little while before signing something into law. Um, you know, so I don't link those two things together. The bill was just passed uh, literally about you know, two or three weeks ago. So um, it's, it's very fresh. It's very new. Um, but as you might imagine, we're certainly going to be encouraging behind the scenes the administration, uh, along with my Republican colleagues, uh, to get this thing done. Congressman Antonio Delgado joins us on uh, Magic 590. Uh, I've, in looking up information about you, I saw something not too astounding, that you were going to travel with a group of other Congress members to Israel. But that's all of a sudden become kind of a hot-button topic, or not your trip necessarily, although I'll ask you about that, because in another congressional group, Israel is banning one Muslim congresswoman from a trip there, and President Trump asked Israel to ban two American Muslim congresswomen from the trip. Uh, what's your reaction to these events, and what do you hope to learn if and when you go to Israel? Yes, well, first let me step back and say that I did travel to Israel along with my wife uh, prior uh, to um, you know uh, the prime minister at the uh, encouragement of our president, uh, barring um, my colleagues. Uh, this happened prior to that situation. And I chose to travel with my wife because 
for a number of reasons, both personal and, and also professional. Personally, my wife is African-American and Jewish. Um, we're raising uh, our two young boys uh, who are Jewish in the Jewish faith. Uh, so it was important to me on a personal level uh, to go to Israel, uh, get more familiar than I already am uh, with the history uh, of, uh, of Israel and the people, uh, the Jewish people. Uh, and on that regard, it was an incredibly um, uh, profound experience uh, to be on the ground and be so close um, to, uh, you know, very important religious sites um, and also to travel through the, the Holocaust Museum. Um, it was just a very meaningful and powerful uh, experience. And then, of course, on the uh, political professional level, it's important to understand the region. You know, the Middle East is a region uh, that um, is, is you know, often inflicted with conflict. Uh, Israel has been uh, a very, very important ally um, uh, with America, and it's important that, uh, from my vantage point, I better understand the security interests of mm-hmm. Israel and, and the dynamics that are ongoing on the ground there. Uh, that being said, uh, I will say that barring elected members of Congress from entry into Israel because of their political views, uh, it's antithetical, antithetical to our democratic principles. And I find it deeply offensive uh, to our longstanding alliance uh, with Israel. Furthermore, you know, and this goes back to partisan politics, uh, playing partisan politics with a relationship that's historically been bipartisan uh, is not in the interest of Israel or the United States. Hmm. Uh, we're practically out of time. Are you going to uh, run for Congress uh, next year? I mean, I, I, I'm thinking about serving my, uh, my constituents. Um, you know, obviously want to be able to serve for as long as my constituents want me to serve. Uh, but what I'm focusing on right now uh, is making sure that uh, I stay connected, that I keep doing the town halls, uh, that I keep opening up. All, we got five in district offices, Bob. We got one out in Delaware County. We got one in Otsego County, Oneonta. We got one in Sullivan County in Liberty. One in Hudson in Columbia. One in Kingston, Ulster County. Um, and we're trying our best to stay connected, to be accountable, to be accessible uh, to the people, uh, mm-hmm. and to make sure that when I go to D.C., I stay tied to the people and work on the issues that I know the people here across party lines care deeply about. Uh, that's my focus All right. right now. Our guest on Talk of the Town, Antonio Delgado of the 19th Congressional District in New York. Talk of the Town is heard on Magic 590 and 100.5 in Albany and 1410 and 96.9 in the North Country. This program will be podcast on albanymagic.com and bobcudmore.com. I'm Bob Cudmore.